you actually believe in God, you have to be a complete idiot to believe in God. Christians are just slaves to an imaginary God. They, they make up a God, give him personality, claim he is the only one, put words in his mouth, and follow those words as if he said those words. But as for me, I'm free. I do what I want, when I want, and how I want to do it. The truth is, there is no God. I am not going to be duped the way everybody else is. And I'm not going to be duped into believing an enslaving lie. No, these are not my beliefs, and they're not my feelings. Thank God for that. No, they're not mine, but they are the very words and very thoughts of people that you see every day at work. They're the thoughts and feelings and words of your neighbor that you see every day. They're the thoughts and words of the celebrity that you watch on TV. These are the words of the world's ambassador. Who is the world's ambassador? The world's ambassador is the person who takes a hold of what the world teaches. That there is no truth, that there is no God, do what you like, and everyone just believe what they want. And because of that, he hates Christians simply because he thinks that we think we are better than him, and that he thinks that we are complete fools for believing a fairy tale and thus choosing to be slaves to what he thinks we created in our own minds. This point of view is everywhere and it's rapidly growing. We all have heard this person put us down and we have heard this person spit in the face of our God in some way or another. This person just flat out plain old hates God. But what makes him think like this? Why does he view Christians in such a hateful way? And what are we as Christians to do with this person? So to get the correct answer to these questions, we have to turn to the Bible, obviously. Then and only then will we find the correct answer. The book of Romans gives us a great, quote-unquote, outside-of-the-box view on spirituality. It, it touches on many subjects, subjects and goes into great detail on others. The ambassadors of the world are one of the topics that Paul discusses in our scripture for today in Romans 8, 5, through, uh, 5 to 8. And it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here we have a brief four-verse description of a person who hates God and hates all who follow him. So let's dissect these verses to see what makes this guy, what makes this person feel this way. From now on, I'm going to refer to this person as an antichrist. Now you may say, what? An, yeah, an antichrist. 
I'm not going. I'm, I'm not going to get into the Book of Revelation and start giving a description of the end times or end of the world because I say Antichrist. What is overlooked is the fact that there are two definitions of the word Antichrist. First is what most of us think that it's a single evil spirit or person who will come before the second coming. But the second definition is actually found in 1 John 2.22, and it says, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who, who denies the Father and the Son. So, with this definition, an Antichrist is anyone who does not believe in Jesus for whatever reason. Just think of the word. Antichrist, against Christ, not believing in Christ. And this is the definition I will use when I say Antichrist. So, now let's get to the meat of the matter. Let's start off by seeing what makes this Antichrist tick. What are his char characteristics? Verse 5 starts off and says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So here we have Paul describing the first characteristic of this Antichrist. That he has his mind set on the things of the flesh. Well, what are these things of the flesh? These things of the flesh are things such as living for the temporary, live for the here and now, living for the, every desire in their body and mind, and live for money. You know, and those are just to name a few. They have no solid beliefs. And I emphasize the word solid there. They believe each person determines what is right for them. Therefore, no one can push a belief on them because what is right for this person might, might not be right for the other person. Their desire to live for the flesh is seen in their liberal viewpoints such as you know, gay marriage, abortion, sex before marriage, whatever the case may be. They not only support these evil thoughts, but they also push them on you and I. And they ask us to bite the apple as well so that we can die with them. Paul describes them in Romans 3, 13, 18, and he says, Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's amazing. This was written over 2,000 years ago. It sounds like it was written yesterday. Essentially, these people are all living for sin without even knowing it. There is no restraint. There is no room for God in their lives. They allow sin to run through them like a river. Sin affects everything that they do. They are simply the devil's puppets. So by saying that these people live for the flesh, essentially... What Paul is saying is that they allow and invite the sin that we all have in our lives to control every aspect of them as a human being. These people obviously are not running around with little devil horns on their heads. They look just like you and me on the exterior, but we have to look deeper and listen to their words and look at their actions. What do their lives look like? What are their beliefs? Where do they get their views from? Well, that's only the first characteristic. We have three more to go. The next one, Paul describes in verse 7. And he says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So, the Antichrist 
this Antichrist flat out hates God. This makes perfect sense because he doesn't even believe in him. So to a mindset on the flesh, this leads to being hostile to God. To be hostile to God is obviously to do the exact opposite of what God wants us to do. This Antichrist, as I said before, is a slave to sin. Sin does the exact opposite of what God wants for us and what, what is actually best for us. That is why the end of the verse says, and I'm paraphrasing, this is why he cannot submit to God's law. He cannot obey God because he is so entrenched in his own sin. He wants nothing to do with God. And he, in fact, is his own God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So to them, what is this message? The gospel, what is it to them when they hear it? It's utter foolishness to them. They don't want to hear it. Why would they need a Savior when he doesn't even see a need for being saved from anything? So because of that logic, he hates God because he doesn't even see the need for God. Now, based off of these descriptions so far, this person, by show of hands here, have you ever met anybody like this? Raise your hands. Or am I just seeing it myself? Okay, I'm not crazy. Okay. The fact is that this person is everywhere. And he is doing the exact opposite of what we Christians are doing. It's almost like we are playing a game of tug of war. And they, the Antichrist, are on one side and we, the Christians, are on the other side. And we are constantly battling with him. We want to obey and he doesn't. We love God, he doesn't, etc., etc. It's a daily struggle. And why do they utterly hate God? It, it's because of what Romans 3.18 says. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They don't see his power, his glory, his perfection, his wisdom. They haven't even reached step one in obeying God. And what is step one? Proverbs 1.7 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So how can he possibly not be hostile toward God, towards God? He has sin, loves sin, pursues sin, has no room or belief for God. Therefore, he naturally hates everything associated with God. So in summary, this person just flat out hates God. We already touched on this, but I want to make this a separate point to emphasize its importance. What, what is the next characteristics of, of an Antichrist? It's found in verse 8, and it simply states... Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So it's impossible for this Antichrist to please God because his mind is dead set on the things of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 2.14 has this to say about him. It says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because... They are spiritually discerned. So, he can't even tell the difference between when he is pleasing God and when he isn't. So how could he possibly please God if he doesn't even know what pleases God? Why can't he please God? We already gave one answer, that his mind is set on the flesh. But the other is found in this verse as well. 
And it's simply the fact that only those who have the Holy Spirit in them can please God, truly please God. We'll touch on that in a minute, but just know that these are the two reasons that he cannot please God. The fourth and final characteristic is more so the outcome of all these things combined. It's the outcome of having his mind set on the things of the flesh, being hostile towards God, and simply not pleasing God. What is the outcome? The outcome, the scripture tells us, is death. Verse 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. It's almost as if he is dead when he's already living. He is doing no good. In fact, he is doing the exact opposite of what is good, and he's doing it with a smile on his face. But little does he realize what is truly in store for him. Even though he doesn't believe in hell, a life of torment, God's wrath staying upon him, that doesn't stop it, stop the inevitable fact that this ultimate consequence of utter hateful and sinful life he has lived and encouraged throughout his life, that his ultimate end will be death. And I'm referring to spiritual death, a death, an eternal life apart from God. So we've discussed the characteristics of an Antichrist. Now let's move on to how he views us. In us referring to God's children, Christians. We've established that these Antichrists hate God. So naturally he would hate anyone who loves God, which is us. 1 John 3, 1, the second part of that verse says, The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The world didn't understand Jesus. It didn't like his message. It didn't believe his message. So why would it believe Jesus as God's messenger? And why would it believe us, the messengers of Christ? So just as the world hated him, so the world hates us. He basically... The Antichrist basically thinks that we are, are stupid and stuck up. Yet many of these Antichrists, their view of Christianity is obviously very, very wrong. How often have you talked to someone about Christianity who, who has this mindset, and you talk to them about our faith, and you realize they don't know anything, yet they hate us. Their opinion of what a Christian is actually formed based off what they see on TV, or what some crazy Christian fanatic says or how they act. And you know the ones I'm talking about, and this is who they get view of Christians from. You know, people who say you know, the world will end in 2022, or the people who roll on the, crowd, uh, roll on the ground uncontrollably and speak gibberish. You know, the cheesy ones that remind you, you know, Jesus is my best friend. And also the churches that exist mainly for the money. They see the people on TV that if you send in $50, then God will bless you and will give you a prayer cloth and your prayers will be answered because of that. That's what they base Christianity off of, those people. So, the fact is, on the outside I do, I laugh at these guys, but ultimately I feel sad for them. But these are the type of people who paint the picture of what it means to be a Christian for these antichrists. So when these antichrists hear that you are a Christian, he immediately thinks, with that as his backdrop, you're one of them? As if I'm going to start rolling on the ground right there immediately and speaking in gibberish. These quote-unquote Christians 
are giving you and me a bad name. And that's a whole other sermon, but just know that this is what most of these spiritually uneducated antichrists think whenever they hear that we're Christian. They don't know the truth that we are actually here to serve and we are to humbly love other people and fill them with God's love the way we have been filled. They don't know that we don't think that we're better than anybody. But they don't know because they never took the time to pick up a Bible. And you may think, okay, it's all on them. But the other side of the coin is maybe we never sat down with them and showed them who God truly is. And I'll get to that in a minute. So far, I spent this whole sermon speaking about Antichrist, describing them, giving reasons why they are the way they are. But now I want to ask a question, and that is simply, what are we as Christians to do? Obviously, I'm shifting focus here to you and me concerning him. And this is actually the reason why the Bible speaks of this person, and also why God put it on my heart to speak about this today. The first thing we need to do as Christians in light of this reality we live in is we need to recognize God's grace. You may have been listening and thinking to yourself, you know, well, I'm not that bad. This person is so evil and I'm, I'm so much better than him. I'm saved and he's not. Well, I got news for every single person here and that it's only because of God's grace that you and I are not living for the flesh anymore. You did nothing, nothing to be saved. 1 John 3, 1, the first part of that verse says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. We were just like these antichrists. Our destination was the same until God saved us. If it wasn't for God's grace, you and I would be just like this person. So we need to come off our high horse and humble ourselves and thank God that we are not like this person. Because it is only because of Him that you are not. Give God all the glory and all the credit and take none of it for yourself. Secondly, we need to stand our ground when confronted by this person or by this view. Too many times we Christians, we can't give an answer or we show weakness in front of him. Too many times we actually give in to their views and we think and act just like them. Why? Honestly, why? Why is this? We need to stand our ground. And it's not our ground, it's God's ground. We're representatives, we're made in his flesh, we're saved. We need to represent him and stand up for the truth. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. So Paul, living in the same world, he was not ashamed of it, nor should we be. Don't be ashamed of the message that saves you. Don't let this wrong view of what a Christian is stop you from furthering his kingdom. Don't let him put down our God. He speaks out of ignorance, not knowledge. So don't let him affect your love for your God 
or your view or relationship with God. Thirdly, we need to guard ourselves from his evil ways. And how do we do that? It's simply by immersing ourselves in his word. And with the body of believers here, especially locally, immerse ourselves with one another. Right? I mention this every week, I think. We need to be more than Sunday only. And this is one of the reasons for, to protect ourselves, to put on the armor of God. So that this view, so that he cannot pollute your mind with his evil thoughts. Because we're here an hour every week. And then how many more hours are we away from each other? We need to stay together so that we are not polluted. Jude 18, verses 21, those verses, there's only one chapter in Jude, say, They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So we need to build ourselves up, as Jude says. Build ourselves up so that this person cannot affect us. Lastly and mostly, we are to save them from the fire. Again, Jude says... Continuing off of that last verse, verses 22 to 23 now, he says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. We need to show them mercy the way God has shown you mercy. But be cautious so that they do not win you over to the ways of the flesh again. Hate everything that sin has touched, even the clothing on the person's back, Jude says. That's how serious this is. But don't hate the person. Pray for him. Show him firsthand what a real Christian is. Invite him to church. Invite him to study God's word. Don't just say, well, that guy's getting what he deserves. That may be true, but we are not called to judge. We are called to save, to be instruments of God's mercy. We didn't deserve this mercy, and He doesn't deserve this mercy. We are both humans. There is no difference between us. We don't know if He'll accept God's, God's word or, or reject it. But we do know is that we are not to select who we spread God's word to. If he accepts God's word, then obviously praise God. If not, of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to his vomit. That's from 2 Peter 2.22. It's his choice. Only God can soften his heart and enable him to accept Jesus as his Savior. Right now he is like Saul, who later became Paul. He was persecuted persecuting Christians. But look at what God did to Saul. He wrote the letter I'm preaching from. God did that out of his grace, and Paul recognized that he didn't deserve to be shown God's grace. He realized that the only way he could be saved is through Jesus. And that is true for him, me, and all the antichrists out there. 
We can only be saved by God's grace. God does the saving, but He uses us as His instruments to do that saving. So we are to, quote-unquote, snatch them from the fire, as Jude puts it, as he quotes Amos 4.11. We don't know the outcome, but we do know that we are called to do this all the days of our lives. And that's simply to spread His word to everyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gospel message. We thank you for what it means for us and what it, what it does for us. It saves us from your wrath. And Lord, we are in a very polluted world, a world that has a misconception of you, a world that knows who you are and hates you. And we are out in this world more than we are with you, Lord. We are out in this world more than we are together. And that is our fault, first and foremost. And we ask, Lord, for your forgiveness for that. And help us to change and repent of that. But in the meantime, Lord, as we're out in this world, give us strength, Lord, to recognize the truth. May we not be swayed by their remarks. May we not be swayed by their arguments and their logic. Help us to stand our ground, which is your ground, Lord. But more so, Lord, as we stand there, may we not just stand there to beat them down with their view and think that we're better than them, but help us to do what your word calls us to do, which is to snatch them from the fire. Help us, Lord, to open our mouths. Help us, Lord, to show, us, show them with our hands what it means to be a Christian. Lord, the pressure is not on us to save them, to snatch them from the fire, but it's simply to show them and to tell them that they need a Savior, and you will do the saving. The pressure's not on us, Lord, but we give it up to you because we know you're in control of all things. And help us, Lord, this week, especially as it's fresh in our minds, to be aware of this mindset that is around us, aware of these people that have this mindset that are around us. And help us, Lord, to stand our ground around them, but help us, Lord, to open our mouths to them. To recognize that it is our job, our right, our duty, and our privilege to spread the message of salvation to them, Lord. And may we recognize the fact that if nobody showed us this message, that we would not be even in this building today. That because you work through others, Lord, continue to work through us the way you work through others. The others that brought us here today. The others that had showed us who you are. The others that called us to go on our knees and showed us how to go on our knees and to call you Savior and Lord of our lives. Help us to continue to do, the, do so. May we not break that chain, Lord. May we continue to stay linked for your kingdom, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's stand and sing hymn number 404, Faith of Our Fathers. Once we walk out those doors, it will not be easy to live as Christians and walk as Christians. But for thousands of years... Others have gone before us, and God has always been there to help them, and he will be there to help us. Please sing out. <laughs>
So let's keep a special attention to all those out there that have that mindset and pray for them and show them what a Christian really is. Heavenly Father, be with us this week as we continue to strive to be who you want us to be by glorifying your kingdom. Help us to do so in this way, Lord. And be with us and strengthen us as we need you. In your holy name, amen.